officially 10% through the season, and the Tigers are 500. I think most people would have taken that, although the way it's played out has not been particularly encouraging, to say the least. Matthew Boyd was good again. The Tigers made a nice comeback, but fall 5-3 in 10 innings to lose their fourth in a row. We'll talk about that today and answer some fun listener questions about interleague play, WOBA, and baseball names on today's Locked on Tigers podcast. It is Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. I am your host, Chris Brown. And as always, I remind you to download, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcasting platform. Hopefully you know what they are by now, but uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Himalaya. And then if you have a car with a fancy smart device, go ahead and tell it to play podcast Locked on Tigers. And then you'll hear me in your car. So the game gets off on the right foot. Matthew Boyd goes out there and strikes out the side in the first inning on 14 pitches. Looks just like he's looked all year. It's starting starting to get real, I think. And then uh, in the second inning, he gives up a deep fly ball to Josh Bell and then singles to Melky Cabrera and Jung Hal Gong. But then he gets a weak grounder that Josh Harrison goes to second on. That's the only out they can get, though. So there's men on first and third with two outs. And then he gets two of the weakest hit balls you'll ever see. Unfortunately, the first one is a dribbler down the first base line, and it goes to Miguel Cabrera, and instead of flipping it over to Boyd, who's running to cover the bag, he wheels to throw to second. But nobody's there covering second base, which is, you know, partially, I think, the fault of Gordon Beckham not covering, but also he's not really a natural shortstop, so maybe he just didn't think of it immediately. And partially Cabrera's fault for not just throwing it to Boyd. But sure enough, you know, the weakest hit of the game gives an RBI and the Pirates up one nothing. And then the next pitch is almost an exact duplicate, but this time Boyd just grabs it and flips it to Cabrera to end the inning. But the Tigers are down one one nothing on a play that shouldn't have happened. Boyd comes back out for the third and gets a ground out, a ground out, and a fly out. Ten pitches, really quick inning. In the fourth, he gives up a hard hit single to Josh Bell and then a bomb to Jung Ho Gong on a fastball that was right down the middle. He's basically his, his main mistake of the night. And Jung Ho Gong shouldn't be playing in the major leagues, but, you know, go ahead and look that up if you want to. Gets the next two guys out, but they're down 3 nothing, and it feels like 40 to nothing the way the Tigers are playing. In the fifth inning, he gives up a single off Jammer Candelario's glove but and then a walk, and then... <laughs> Pittsburgh tries a sack bunt to move the guys to second and third, but then Boyd comes back and strikes out Francisco Cervelli on a fastball up and strikes out Josh Bell on a slider down. And shout out to Sungmin Kim, who wrote an article on Fangraphs yesterday about Matthew Boyd and pointed out how he has lowered his arm slot a little bit to get a little bit more spin on his fastball. And now he's throwing his fastball up in the zone more often and his slider below the zone more often. And we saw it play out right there. So it was an excellent read. And that gives Sungmin Kim the Blue Chew Rock Solid column of the day. So you should go read it. And also shout out to the broadcast team because in that inning, after that ball glanced off Candelario's glove, they put up the graphic that showed that Jamer Candelario this year is tied for second in Major League Baseball among third basemen in defensive run save, which is a modern defensive analytic number. And yeah, so he's been one of the best defensive third basemen this year, which is nice because he's not providing much with a bat yet. And speaking of analytics, how about just a very basic sabermetrics lesson here that we saw play out on that inning when Pittsburgh elected to sacrifice bunt. So with men on first and second and nobody out, teams are expected to score 1.4 runs. This is based on years and years and years of actual data. But that sack bunt and instead puts men on second and third with one out, where they're expected to score 1.3 runs. So that tactical move made it more likely they would score fewer runs. So yeah, questionable management, but there we are. We go to the sixth, Matt Boyd, another fast inning, ground out, strikeout, grand out. And then head to the seventh. He's still out there. Strikeout on an inside fastball. It was off the plate. He got the call. I think he deserved it. Uh, he gave up a scary fly ball, but Christian Stewart ended up catching it short of the, the warning track. And then he gave up a weak grounder. So, yeah, Matt Boyd, really damn good again. 
made one bad mistake on that poorly located fastball, but the other run wasn't his fault. So seven innings, six hits, three earned runs, should have been two, one walk, seven strikeouts, and 104 pitches, 10 ground outs to just three fly outs. He seems to have completely transformed himself from a fly ball pitcher, and he got 15 swings and misses. But he's down 3-2 at that point. They bring in Buck Farmer. He's good. He gets two guys out. Then Blaine Hardy comes in to turn around Josh Bell, gets a three-pitch strikeout, really nice. In the ninth, Hardy comes back out, gets a pop out, a strikeout, and a ground out. Really good work for Blaine Hardy. And when you know the Tigers tie the game at three of the ninth, so Shane Green, the closer, comes out in the tenth, the first time he's pitched in a non-closing situation that I can remember this season, and he gives up a leadoff single through the shift, and Pittsburgh tries to sack bunt again and failed again with a strikeout. Thanks, Clint Hurdle. He gets a grounder to Harrison that moves the runner to second, and then he gives up an absolute bomb on a hanging slider to Starling Marte, first pitch. 408 feet, and then he gives up a a deep fly ball caught by Dustin Peterson on the run, and that's it. Pittsburgh up 5-3, and that's the way it would stay. But uh, let's... Let's hear how the Tigers got those three runs. And by the way, they mentioned on the broadcast, the Tigers have scored more than four runs twice all season in 16 games. So these three runs were kind of an offensive breakout, but certainly not what they needed. Josh Harrison's still leading off for some reason, and he leads off with a two-pitch weak fly. And spoiler alert, this is the expected batting average on the five balls that Harrison put in play yesterday. 90, 20, 70, 20, and 250. So that last one was almost a hit. Yeah, I'm not sure why he's still leading off. Or playing every day, but here we are. The rest of the batters, Castellano strikes out, Cabrera hits a deep fly ball. It's kind of a classic Comerica deep fly ball that falls safely in the center fielder's glove. Second inning, 15 pitches, they go down in order. Third inning, Gordon Beckham leads off with a double. What a strange year for Gordon Beckham. He's got four hits in 24 plate appearances. All four of them are extra base hits, and then he's striking out 42% of the time. But anyway, he hits that hard double, and Griner follows up with a hard hit single, but they push it for some reason and try to th- get Beckham home, and he gets thrown out on a really nice throw from Pablo Reyes, who is sort of like Pittsburgh's version of Nico Goodrum, I guess. He's, he's like a super utility guy who does a little bit of everything okay. And, and Reyes is also the guy who had the RBI hit in the second inning on that little weak grounder. Really bad decision to send Beckham, and then Griner advances to second on the throw, but Jacoby Jones grounds out and Harrison hits a weak flyout. What a surprise. So yeah, they finally get a hit with runners in scoring position and still make it out. Uh, fourth inning, Mickey gets a one-out double, and Nico with a hard single. So it's minute first and third, and then they get a pass ball to score Cabrera to make it 3-1. And then Kristen Stewart follows up with a hard double and a hanging changeup, and it's 3-2. Then Jamer Candelario with a hard single, but Stewart has to hold up so he doesn't score. So then men in first and third again, and then Beckham and Griner both strike out, both swinging at sliders. And so Lloyd McClendon, the Tigers hitting coach, his mantra is for the team to lead the league in doubles. And with the Tigers, he's pretty close. They have 34 doubles, which is third in Major League Baseball. Call me crazy. I kind of like to lead the league in home runs instead of being dead last like the Tigers are. But what do I know? I'm not a hitting coach. Anyway, the next 10 batters basically go down in order, aside from a two-out walk to Griner in the seventh inning. And it was just a a fabulous performance by Musgrove. Basically, the right-handed version of Boyd. Their lines were almost exactly the same. Seven innings pitched, six hits, two earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts, 15 swings and misses. The only difference is that Boyd got stuck with that one earned run that he didn't deserve. So in the eighth inning, they bring in Richard Rodriguez and Harrison weak fly out. They've been talking about Harrison having a sore shoulder, and it's getting really ugly now. He's hitting 123, and that's not with like an exorbitant amount of strikeouts. He's putting the ball in play very weakly. So it wouldn't shock me if in a couple days we see Dawel Lugo get called up, or maybe Harrison just gets a couple days off, and they put Ronnie Rodriguez at second base. Castellanos follows with a single, but then Cabrera strikes out on a 91-mile-an-hour fastball up in the zone, and, you know, it's still early, but I'm starting to get concerned about Cabrera. That's happened a lot. And then Nico Goodrum strikes out on a 92-mile-an-hour fastball up in the zone, so... But the Tigers' bullpen holds and gives them a chance to go for it in the ninth inning, and guess what? They do. 
Kristen Stewart leads off the ninth against Keone Kayla, who's throwing 97. Uh, Stewart gets down 0-2, but then Kayla hangs a breaking ball, and Stewart crushes it at 105 miles an hour, gets safely into second base, and then they pinch run for him with Dustin Peterson, which is kind of funny, but it's technically the right move. Uh, Stewart's sprint speed, which they measure over at StatCast, his sprint speed is 26.4 feet per second, which is slightly below average, and Dustin Peterson's is 27.2 feet per second, which is slightly above average. So the correct move, even if it seems a bit silly. And then Jamer Candelario comes through with a big two-strike hit, single over the second baseman's head to score Peterson, and we're all tied at three. And then they try to bunt with Gordon Beckham, which doesn't work, but Candelario gets the second anyway on kind of a pass ball, wild pitch situation. And then so you got Griner up with a man on second and one out, but he pops up, and then Jacoby Jones grounds out, and so we're heading to extra innings. And so there was a question about why they didn't pitch hit for Griner there with one out and a man on second, because Griner's been a really bad hitter this year. And in general, it's just managers don't like to pinch hit for their catcher because then they that forces their backup catcher into the game if the pinch hitter doesn't get the job done. And then they're always worried that their backup catcher is going to get hurt somehow and they have to use an emergency catcher like Ronnie Rodriguez or something like that, and it's a disaster. So, so yeah, technically speaking, he probably should have pinch hit for Griner, but also... Sometimes managers just want to give one of their younger, inexperienced hitters a chance to come through and be the the hero and maybe build some confidence. So, I don't know. But he fails, and then Jones fail, and so we head to the 10th. At this point, the Tigers are down 5-3. Nick Kingham is in, and guess what? Josh Harrison leads off with a weak grounder to shortstop. Castellanos strikes out on a 92-mile-an-hour fastball up, and then Mickey flies out to end the inning, and the Tigers hang their heads and walk into the dugout, 5-3 losers. Speaking of hanging head into the dugout, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra performance in the bedroom. No more weak contact for you. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no talking to a pharmacist, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MLB, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better cheaper, faster choice, and I thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And we'll finish up today with a couple of interesting questions I got. The first comes from Scott, and he says, it seems like we're playing more interleague every year. Is that just perception or truth? Any idea what effect this has on our success if we have to play more and more without a DH? Is that crazy rule about the DH ever going to pass? And if it does, how will that affect us? So no, we aren't playing more interleague baseball every year, but I understand why you might think that, because... In 2013, the Astros moved from the National League back to the American League. And what that meant is that there are now 15 teams in each league. Before, there were 16 in the National League and 14 in the American League. And it felt kind of silly. There were six teams in the National League Central. But now, with 15 teams in each league, it's uneven. So there always has to be one interleague series happening at all times. So it just kind of feels odd. And it's really weird, especially when, you know, it used to be at one set time a year. And it was it kind of lost its luster, but it was still interesting. Now they happen all throughout the year, and it's really a bummer when it happens to start the season or to end the season, which has happened to the Tigers a couple times. As far as how it affects the team, the Tigers have generally been good in interleague games, but it kind of just follows along with the talent of the team. When they've been good, they've been good in interleague, and when they've been bad, they've been bad all over. 
Uh, and I do think that DH will come to the National League. I just don't know when. So the next question was just kind of more of a discussion. I was talking with my friend Rob today about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has added all these fancy new advanced stats. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to bring Woba to the league next year. And he's like, what is that? So I figured I'd explain it real quick. Uh, so people might be familiar with OPS. They're showing that more often on, on broadcast, which is on-base plus slugging percentage, which is just an attempt to kind of capture a hitter's total offensive production, how much they get on base, and how much they hit for power. The problem with OPS is that one point of on-base percentage does not equal one point of slugging percentage. Uh, on, one point of on-base percentage is actually worth about two points of slugging percentage, so adding them together doesn't really work. And, and it also turns out that separate events have real run values, and they're very kind of specific. So I guess think, think of it like this. A single is not going to be as valuable as a home run, but to batting average and on-base percentage, they're treated exactly the same. They're just, they were a hit and a player got on base. Slugging percentage treats it a little bit differently, but it still doesn't get it quite right because it just counts up the total bases rather than the run value. So it turns out the average single is worth about 0.9 runs, and doubles are worth about 1.2 runs, and homers are actually worth about two runs on average. There's a specific run value to all these, and WOBA just stands for weighted on base average, and all it does is combine all those numbers, the actual run values, and put them into a number, and then there's a scaling factor to make it look like traditional on base percentage, where the average is about 320 for an MLB hitter. Care to guess how many Tigers hitters are better than average by WOBA this year? A three. Nico Goodrum, Kristen Stewart, and Gordon Beckham. So, yeah, it's just another total offensive measurement and it's kind of considered more accurate than OPS. And finally, we've got a couple fun questions from Rachel, and she asks, who currently has the longest name in baseball, how many siblings are playing, and how many Altuves would it take to reach the top of the Ambassador Bridge? So we start with the longest name. Jared Saltalamacchia took the cake for a long time, but now there are actually a handful of contenders with 18 letters in their name. We've got Darwinson Hernandez, Julian Merriweather, Trevor Hildenberger, and Davidus Nevraskas, but the current leader, as far as I can tell, is actually our own Nicholas Castellanos, which doesn't seem fair because we've always known him as Nick Castellanos, but you add up to all those letters in Nicholas Castellanos, and it's 19, so there you go. That's your winner. In terms of siblings, yeah, there's, there's a long history of famous siblings in baseball. Some great players have had brothers who weren't quite as great. You've got Hank Aaron and his brother Tommy. Joe DiMaggio had two brothers and Dom and Vince. George Brett's brother Ken also played, and my personal favorite, Honus Wagner's brother, Butts. That's B-U-T-T-S, plural. But right now, I think there are only three sets of brothers in baseball that I can think of. There's the Guriels. So there's Lourdes Guriel, who plays second base for the Blue Jays, and his brother Ulieski, who's kind of a first baseman for the Astros. There's the Tigers' own Tyson Ross, whose younger brother Joe is playing for the Nationals. And then there's Kyle Seeger, who plays third base for the Mariners, and Corey Seeger, his younger brother, who plays shortstop for the Dodgers, although Kyle is hurt right now. You can also apply it to managers. There's probably more than this, but Joey Cora... He's a coach for the Pirates, you know, who the Tigers are playing right now, and his brother Alex is the manager of the Red Sox. And just a couple years ago, the Tigers had Andrew Romine, and his brother Austin is a catcher for the Yankees, and Joe Jimenez has a brother, A.J. Jimenez, who played seven games for the Rangers in 2017. The best group of uh, siblings in baseball right now, though, are the Wander Francos. Wander Franco is a shortstop prospect for the Tampa Rays. He's one of the best prospects in baseball, but he's got two older brothers, and they're both named Wander. So three Wander Francos. There you go. And as far as Altuve's in the bridge, so you can you can factor into the top of the bridge. It's 386 feet, so that is 72 Altuve's. But if you calculate from the water to the bottom of the bridge, that's 151 feet, which is about 27 Altuve's, which is almost a full baseball team full of Altuve's. And I'd take that any day. We'd probably give up a whole lot of runs because we wouldn't have any pitching. But I calculated it, and 
a full lineup of Altuve's is going to score you about 1,100 runs. So uh, that would be fun, and let's try it. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for all the questions. Those were fun, and I appreciate you all listening to today's Locked on Tigers, and I'll be back tomorrow to break down the second game in the short Pirates-Tigers series, see if Spencer Turnbull can go out there and get his first career MLB win against Trevor Williams, who the Tigers really haven't seen much uh, other than in spring training. So, yeah, thanks again for listening. Please rate and review the show, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.